Welcome to the Women in NFTs and Web3 podcast, where we highlight women in this space who are making massive moves, paving the way and leaving their legacy. I'm Caitlin Strempel, CEO of the first ever women-owned NFT marketing and design agency for women by women and your host. I'm honored to have you join me in learning from some of the greatest leaders in our industry. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review because the more traction we get, the more women we can support in helping them impact the world. If you or someone you know would be a great guest, stick around to the end and I will tell you how to get in touch and apply. Enjoy the show. All right. Hello, friends. Today, I have an incredible guest. Her name is Christina Flynn. Christina Flynn, she, her, is a collector, connector, and consultant increasing diversity in NFTs, consulting on strategy for NFT projects, personalities, and companies on community building, partnerships, diversity and inclusion, and social impact. On top of that, Christina coaches underrepresented project founders and artists on marketing, branding, community building, and partnerships. And that is all I'm going to say because, (laughs) Christina, your bio is incredible, and I just want you to jump in, say hello, and tell us about who you are and your story. Yeah. So um, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So yeah, Christina Flynn, pronouns are she, her. Um, I'm relatively new to the NFT space. And and I I know that's a subjective statement in the first place, (laughs) depending on who you're talking to. So I got in in May of 2021. Um, so it's so funny every time I find myself talking about the journey, it sounds like years and years and years. I think it was years in the making, (laughs) but I haven't been here that long. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. And so, uh, I was working on an impact data technology company as a founder for, I guess it was like close to four years, um, And before that, I have a bit of like a random career trajectory. So I um, was started my career in professional sports. So working with um, professional basketball players really related to sort of acting as the conduit between business operations and basketball operations. Um, Anything that needed the business I needed from the team would come through me and my team. And then prioritization, execution, all that kind of stuff. But really the part I fell in love with was like the philanthropy side of things, like meeting with players at the time I'm in Toronto, Canada. And at the time there were no Canadian players. So meeting with them, all the players as they were signed or at the beginning of the season and saying, what do you care about? Like, what are you doing? Kyle Lowry, what are you doing at home in Philly? What are you doing from your previous team in Houston? And then what are the things that you care about? How can we start to build some of those relationships here in Toronto? How can we start to basically build your brand um, in the way that is reflective of you as the human being and what you care about, as well as you, the basketball player? So that's the part I really fell in love with and kind of gave me the like philanthropy impact bug, I guess you could say. Um, And it was really... Yeah, it's so cool to see that come around and because right now that's what's winning in the NFT space too is authenticity and really having a bigger purpose. Yeah, and I think I've realized um, all these things add up, right? Like at the time when you're experiencing them, you don't really know you're experiencing them. And then coming to a space like NFT, I came from it from as a result of COVID, I had been bootstrapping my technology company and we just kind of had to make a really hard decision. We were selling to nonprofits and there was just really unclear um, 
trajectory for nonprofits and what that would look like. It was already difficult selling to them. And so myself and my co-founder had to make the decision to, to shut our doors, which was just an unbelievably um, difficult and emotional thing to go through. Most people I've talked to that have done it, um, you know, they can empathize with it. It's a very difficult thing to do with your baby. It's something. Oh, yeah. And, and just the idea of failure in and of itself and accepting that within yourself. I think most people that start businesses are high performers in general. So to be presented with this moment where you, you truly have failed in the business sense and in venture capital sense, not a failure. I know that everyone's always like, they're not a failure. There's key learnings. There's all these lessons, which I totally agree with, but in the business sense of why you start a company and, and you need money to have the mission. So all of those things, you know, I failed in that traditional sense. And when I came here and I found NFTs, it was sort of like all these different career um, decisions I had made and career moves all sort of made sense, like the yeah. impact side of things, the the personal branding side of things, working with pro athletes, um, the technology, all these things just started to make sense. And, and I really feel grateful that I had those experiences because one, it, it put me in a place in my career and in my life, like I'm a 38 year old woman, I am married, I have a daughter. And so I'm much more comfortable with myself and who I am and being that authentic self and telling my story um, for, for everything, all the goods and the bads. Whereas I may not have been in that position earlier in my life. I wouldn't have, not may, I wouldn't have. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then the other thing being, I think I found this by way of V friends and, and Gary V because mm-hmm. entrepreneur followed him for many years. And I don't think I would have been able to listen to him describe it and then really delve in and, and do like the 50 plus hours of research that he really encouraged all of us to do yeah. and say like, okay, I get it or not feel overwhelmed. To me, it was just like light bulb after light bulb of use cases that all of a sudden when I was like, yeah, I can see it. Like I can see this being the baseline foundational technology to everything we're doing in the future. So exciting. I it was that. a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's been a whirlwind. As you know, you're in it. It's, it's absolutely. It's fast paced. And I probably got in, um, yeah, May, 2021 as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. had a baby right after, like shortly yeah. after we took a little hiatus and then came yeah. back. Thank you. Um, but yeah, it's so interesting when you talk about failures and just everything it's taken for you to get here and coming, hearing that from an entrepreneur perspective as well, and just getting into new things. And really a lot of people that I've met in this space, not just in this space, but entrepreneurs in general really do tie a self-worth to to success and to really having numbers attached to their worth. So that's so interesting. And it really, you know, I'm sure it took a lot of guts to turn inward and, you know, kind of move past that, but going through everything that you've gone through, like, how did you get through it? I think it was a combination of things. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to, I was diagnosed at a very early age with anxiety and depression. So from the age of 12, I've had psychiatric care Mm -hmm. and that's not a common thing Um, to, for one, to live in a country like Canada, where that kind of care is accessible and free. Um, Like I have a psychiatrist that I meet with still to this day, however many years later, um, every two weeks. And if I needed to, it could be every week or every couple of days. Like that's an unbelievable privilege that I have. And I've been given, which has given me 
while not easy, it's given me almost like a bit of a lifetime of learning about my brain and learning about the things that I need to be doing um, to maintain health and balance and all that kind of stuff. That's not to say I have it all figured out. I fail every day at that stuff and balance, but it's simply to say I had access to those things. And and the second thing that's really a privilege to me is the fact that I had parents that looked at a 12 year old kid that was clearly unwell. And despite stigma at the time, um, there's still mental health stigma, let alone like at that time, they, you know, they sought help and they said, like, we don't know what's going on and we want to do something. And when it was told to them that, like, this is real and this is like what's going on with your kid. And, you know, we we recommend psychiatric care and we recommend medications and all those kinds of things. They sought help for me. And. I'm not going to say that that was an easy decision for them. I, I, I expect it, it was incredibly hard, um, but I'm privileged to have got that. And so that kind of set me off on this path that no matter what came along, <clears throat> my anxiety and depression manifested in very um, not unique, but different ways, like throughout my life. So it was anxiety and depression as a kid, a lot of separation, anxiety, like unable to um, like, have sleepovers, sleeping a lot on my parents' floor, like unable to really um, deal with the fact that I wasn't like physically present with them. I couldn't feel safety without them. And then it started to manifest into like, okay, I need to manage this on my own, which turned into like a lot of obsessive compulsive tendencies because it was like finding, like cleaning the bathroom late into the evening was providing me with solace from anxiety. But Obviously, if you when you find those things and and they're trying to cover up a problem like anxiety, it becomes an obsession. It becomes something you need to do, not that you want to do. Um, from there, kind of migrated into eating disorders and bulimia, and then like all of these things kind of presented different challenges and different layers to my mental health journey. Which at each time I had places to fall back. Like I had not only my parents to provide me with that support, but I had um, medical care when I really needed it. And so when I decided to get help about my bulimia, like I was able to get nutritionists and I was able to get folks to, to really help me with that, even though I was like playing university basketball at the time, like all these things kind of layered up. Um, And then I wasn't diagnosed with uh, ADHD, which isn't uncommon until I was 35, despite the fact that I had been in care and very typical for women (laughs) as we're learning and as we're finding out. Yeah, I've been hearing more about that women um, becoming diagnosed with ADHD later on in life. Yeah. And, and I think from what I understand, I'm obviously not a doctor, but from what I understand, it's really just, we, we have a stereotype of what ADHD looks like in our mind. And it tends to look like the young hyperactive boy in the classroom. And that's typically when a young boy is diagnosed, it presents very differently in a young girl. It presents in a variety of ways, but also young girls, because they're not diagnosed, we tend to develop mechanisms and tools that help us to kind of like get through the day in a world that is not set up for neurodiverse folks. So you've got all these tips and tricks that you're learning yourself um, and how to how to address just day-to-day life and how to get through it and how to stay organized and how to time manage all these things, but you don't realize it until later in life. And I like my studying routine in university was just like the most unhealthy, ridiculous thing, but it was the only way I could study. And when you describe that to someone, they're like, 
how did you not get diagnosed? Like, this is not normal, but you do, especially when you're a high performer, you do what you need to do to get the result, which is what you're talking about. That number, that grade for me, um, for me, it was like my first two years when I played, I had to maintain a specific average, but I wanted to be a lawyer. And so when I realized I was too sick to continue playing, it was like, okay, what's the next thing? All right, I'm going to be a lawyer and my grades need to be at X and I got to apply to all these different schools. So it was always like that goal. So as you said, then when you're presented with something like this, where you can't control it and you can't find you, you're just failing and there's no answer. Like there's no, if I do this, it'll be different. If I just pivot, it will be different. It's like financially, personally, from a mental health perspective and a family perspective, professionally, it made all the sense in the world to shut down my shop. Um, and there was nothing I could do about it. And I just had to sit in that. And I had to, I had to mourn, like I had to heal and I had to like, really just try to figure out like who I was not being an entrepreneur, not realizing that obviously I'm still an entrepreneur, but not realizing at the time that failures, you know, it's obviously a great thing. We learn so much, but thankfully throughout my life, I developed all these tendencies of resiliency that even when I was in the entrepreneurial journey and people were like, you know, do you think it's time to give up? Like, you think it's like time. I'm like, I've been through some shit. Like <laughs> I've been through it. Yeah. What I'm dealing with now is nothing compared yeah. to what I've been through. And so thankfully, um, I was in that position to see that. And that's just been a really big point of privilege in my life and, and how I've been able to get to where I am. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like there's so many layers and levels to that, that, you know, somebody and most people out there can relate to it in some, you know, way, shape or form. And, you know, the fact that you, you've kept on going and you've shown up for yourself, I think is really inspiring too. Thank you. Yeah. It's, um, it hasn't been easy and it's still not easy. This space moves really quickly. It's very difficult to like the mental journey of being here, let alone the physical journey, which oftentimes many of us are putting ourselves through in terms of it never sleeps. Like the market doesn't shut off. Um, the projects don't stop launching. The discord channels don't shut down for the evening. Twitter doesn't shut down for the evening. All of these things, which are like, I've really struggled with. Like I, my first thing to go is my eating habits. I'm so blessed to have a wife that will come in and at 4 PM be like, you gotta eat and you you gotta stand up and you gotta like not be in front of your computer. You gotta make a laugh, do a laugh. And then you can sit back down. Um, because my natural inclination, when I find something that I'm hyper-focused on, which is such a blessing in NFTs, because it, when I got that hit, like the first hit, it was like, I know I need to be here. Like, I know the only other time in my life that's happened was when I found basketball, which if you know me, basketball has been like a lifelong passion since I found it. So it's, it's like, that's the way I describe it to people. Like, if you know me, you know how much basketball means to me, like deep. And I felt that same thing when I found NFTs in this community. So it's just like, but it's hard. It's hard to turn off hyper-focus. It's hard to walk away from hyper-focus. Yeah. Got to keep the priority still on yourself. 
You do, you do. And like, that's just, it's, I just admit the fact that it's a daily struggle. And I, you know, I try my best to be honest about that to folks, because I think there's a lot of positivity in this space, but I think there's a fine balance between positivity and toxic positivity. The idea that, you know, and I've talked about this with many people, it's an ongoing conversation in the community of like the wag me or we're all going to make it. It's like, I do fundamentally believe that, yes, this is an opportunity for all of us to do great things. And we're blessed to be here this early at this point in time. But I don't believe that this ideal of we're all going to make it is is a. What's the word I'm looking for? Like foregone conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. There's no guarantees here. And I think we don't take care of ourselves. We're gone. Like we're not going to make it. Yes. And I love that. That's how it's just like, you know, the first and foremost, like take care of yourself. You know, that's like the first step to making it in this space is making sure that, you know, you're overfilling your cup so you can get out there and you can be creative and you can keep up with the speed that people (laughs) are taking this space, but also be healthy enough to know that you don't have to also, you know, be running in the rat race the entire time. Like you can step yeah. back and take breaks. And uh, and I think it's a journey. Like it's a journey that I've been on that like, yeah. it's almost, I've spent a lot of time reflecting on it. It's almost like a bit like narcissistic to think that like, I need to be in here all the time because I'm like adding so much value that if I step away, people will miss me. You know, like if totally. I step away one, I'll miss out but two people will miss me and I'm adding value. It's like, get over yourself. You know, like, do you miss people when they're gone? Maybe, (laughs) but like most of the time things are moving so quickly, you don't even notice. So like, it's cool. Take a weekend. Like, and and that's all things I would say to other people. Mm -hmm. So we need to like, when I tweet some stuff out that is mostly, I always tweet stuff that I need to hear myself. Yeah. And I just think that hopefully somebody else needs to hear it as well, but it's all shit I need to hear, which is like, get your head out of your ass. You're <laughs> important and wonderful and special, but you're not so important and wonderful and special that yeah. you can't take a step away from this community. And it won't still be here when you come back, it will. And you'll actually be healthy enough to continue to add value over time. I love that mindset so much. That's such an interesting perspective that that's the first time I'm hearing that. I'm like, oh yeah, like it's, it's cool. (laughs) Yeah. I had a boss that, um, that was actually like, he, he kind of like gave me that ideal, which is this idea of like, I know you think that if you leave here, like things are just going to fall apart. And like, you know, how could they ever continue on without me? And and I think women especially take that on and underrepresented communities especially take that on for a, a variety of different reasons. But I know I see it in myself where it's like, I couldn't possibly not show up for that, that event or this or that. And it's like, life moves on without all of us every day, all the time. Companies are onboarding and struggling to retain people every single day. Yes, you add value. Of course you add value. You are um, necessary and you are needed, but the world is resilient. And if you're not in one single position, like don't ever let that be the reason why you don't make decisions to do what's best for you, because you think that folks won't be able to continue. They continue. They do it every day. Absolutely. I want to talk about DE and I, um, mm-hmm. because I know that's what you're passionate about. And you did just touch on that. Um, how can we be doing better in this space? 
how much time do we have? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's a big question. It's a big question. Yeah. I think I tend to look at it in terms of like trying to be prescriptive um, to the entire space. I tend to look at like, what is my own personal lived experience? And then how can I use that as well as the privilege that we've already kind of talked about to do my part? Because I think I've learned over time, like, and particularly when I was trying to do this work in any way, shape or form in web two, like systems change takes decades, if not centuries. And it's very difficult to look at a problem in the face when you're entrepreneurial minded and realize like you may not be able to solve that. And you may not be able to solve that, not because you're not capable enough to solve it. It's because nobody in no one person is capable of solving it. And two, like these are centuries uh, and decades of systemic oppression and discrimination that have layered up over time that like an onion can't be overdone. Each one of those layers has to be peeled back in order to have like true, true change. I think the part that excites me about Web3 is that sort of, you know, when I stepped into Web2 at that point in my career and that point in my life, that cement was dry. Like the foundation was set and there was no way that I could do anything above surface level um, to be, to be able to make change. I wish I had learned that lesson a little sooner, but I've learned it. Yes. Now it's like the, we don't even know the, the specs of the space that we're dealing with, let alone the cement being poured. Like the foundation hasn't even been set. The, the digging hasn't started. We don't even have our plot of land yet. Like that's how new we are to this space and to this world and to this ecosystem. And so that just gives me hope that, okay, at least I might be able to do something now within my power and my purview to be able to like help define what some of those specs look like and and what eventually that foundation will look like in my way. And the way that I look at that is I try to see it all in conversation, like holistically, like I myself am a, a white cis woman. And that is a lot of privilege in and of itself. I'm also from Canada, a lot of privilege. I speak English, a lot of privilege, all these things. Um, but I'm a, a lesbian woman and I'm neurodiverse. So I bring to the table lived experience of in some aspects of my life being underrepresented And my ideal is that if I can have a better understanding and use that empathy of my lived experience to not, not, I'll never be able to resonate with the experience of an indigenous woman. I can, I can see oppression and I can also recognize that I will never know what that feels like. And I will never know the depths to which that individual has to walk around day to day, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't learn about their, their experiences. That doesn't mean that I shouldn't spend time in those rooms and among those people in those communities to understand the challenges that they're facing. Because if I, I love connecting people. I love knowing what's going on as like an umbrella of inclusion and then saying, you know, Ava from ArtXB that's working with uh, the whole spectrum of neurodiverse artists. Have you talked to this project over here to ensure that your artists are, are gaining exposure in this world? So we're still so early that some of these connections can be made. And it gets me really excited that if I just know as best as I can what's going on, I'll have a better view at like the problems holistically. And hopefully, because I think this ecosystem is set up for a lot of collaboration and like real community, hopefully I'll be able to create some of those connections and 
raise awareness about um, perspectives that, you know, are not my lived experience, but I have heard and also just open the doors for people to tell their own stories. Like I am not anyone to tell anyone else's story. This is about like, if you have a platform, put a hand down and, and reach out for a black woman and say like, I, you may not have had this otherwise. So like, let's do this together and let's like have conversation here to gain access to an audience that maybe you wouldn't have gained access to previously. Absolutely. And I mean, and I know that you are already making moves in the space because people have been telling me, um, <laughs> you know, the first question that you asked me was, you know, who's, who's on your podcast? Like, who else do you need? And like, these are the people that you need. And I, I'm so fortunate and so thankful that, you know, I received that from you because it it helps me and it helps our community and it helps, you know, all the underrepresented communities out there um, who need to have a voice and need to share their perspective. And I know that you have a list right on Twitter. Um, Hmm. What is your Twitter handle, by the way? So everyone, uh, Christina. List. Yeah. So F O Y N N, which is what you're seeing as my, as my name here, I share this zoom pro with my dad. So we <laughs> in and we let I each other it. know when we got things scheduled, <laughs> be clear about that. Oh, I love um, it. and so, yeah, so it's at Flynn Christina, Christina spelled with a K K R I S T I N A. Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, but that's just one of the ways that when I was looking at the space and I realized there was a real problem here in terms of the early winners and the early influencers, therefore the ones that have access, therefore the ones that are gaining exposure and all of that is a cycle leading to more financial success for one specific group of people. Um, when I saw that that was sort of the reality that we were facing, my immediate reaction was like, holy fuck, I'm not doing this again. Like I'm not living in this world where I'm consistently seeing like these inequity, inequitability, inequitability, inequalities. There it is. Um, when I'm consistently seeing these things, like I just, I think we can do it differently this time. And so I'm going to do absolutely everything I can to try to do that and to try to draw attention to that. So it was my sort of first inkling. And then my second was like, knowing what I know about systems change and knowing what I know about, you know, this kind of work, what are like the simple things that I can start doing that before I have a name in this space, before, if my goal is to create a brand of like, you're the diversity girl, which is like essentially all I'm trying to do. Um, then that's going to take time and I need to be doing things. I never want to be in a position because I used to suffer from that greatly of like overthinking the shit out of everything and never executing. And this space for whatever reason has put me in a position where I don't feel the need to do that. Like it feels safe to execute. That's probably part me and part space, like me understanding What's the worst that can happen? Me realizing a lot of that um, overthinking is based in insecurity and fear of how I'll be portrayed and perceived. So I was just saying, like, I need to execute and do something. And one of the first things I did was like, I don't even know who the women are in this space. I don't know who the diverse NFT creators and creators being the gamut of, you know, whether that's music, whether that's uh, art, whether that's uh, video, film, whatever it is, um, just wanting to know who those people are in the space and believing that most likely if I were to kind of collect that over time, 
it's not a perfect system. There's so much more I want to learn. There's so many subsets I want to develop, but it's what I have available to me right now. And it's something that's simple enough that I will continue to do it and not be overwhelmed. And so I just decided to like make some lists and start building it over time. Then people can follow those lists and they can know who is in the space. Like, you know, this, the amount of really it's like engagement grabbing tweets that come out that say like, who are the women in this space and who are, you know, the, the people of color doing this work. And it's like said under the guise of like, almost like we're not here. And my point is like, if I, all I do respond to those lists, I don't tag anyone anymore. I just respond with my list, which like now the web three woman has like almost, I think it's like 1600 people or something. And the other one is almost a thousand. It's like, we're here. Yeah. And I want to see who you're buying from in these lists, like what you can put out these tweets and gain all this engagement, but like, what are you actually doing with this information other than just trying to, to gain followers? Um, And my suspicion is most people are not doing anything, but at least then they can, we can say to them, like there's thousands of people here doing this work that align with those that you're seeking. Um, Also just search. So many people have done this tweet. Like, yeah. Don't do another one, please. Like Take just, action. Yeah. Just look. And if you want to do it, you'll do it. Yeah. You bring up a really good point. Um, a lot of good points actually, but you know, <laughs> stay curious. Um, and you know, in doing your research and making sure that you're informing yourself as much as you can. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's really important as well because it's, it's not up to anyone else. However, you know, I, I love what you were doing and I'm so thankful and thank you because, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of underrepresented people out there that are tired of, you know, trying to educate people. So I think it's really important as, you know, anyone of privilege to start trying to do your own research, you know, get out there and, And like you said, uh, take action. Don't just go out there and, and do it just to show face. Like, you know, go buy their NFTs, go promote them, um, share share their voices, share retweet them, you know? Yeah, and it's easy. Like, it's not yeah. that stuff that I just doubled down on. It was like, I don't have all the ETH in the world that I can consistently buy, be buying from yeah. all the artists that I want. I was, once I kind of was like, I got really, really into it and I started buying and I did what most people do. And I, you know, you get reckless and you're like this PFP project and this, and like, maybe I can make money yeah. and who even knows. And you get excited and <clears throat> I got super intense. And then it was like, I took a step back and, and said, like, I talk about the importance of this stuff. Um, and yet if I look at my collection right now, most likely I'm going to see a collection that is project owners and artists that are white men because those are like the people I'm surrounding myself with which is because of the community that I came into um I think Gary creates like a a really safe environment for a lot of people but he definitely appeals to white folks and young men of a certain demographic and so I came in that way and then I'm seeing based on the algorithm and who I'm following and what, like you're just surrounded by all this stuff. Um, And I took a step back and just said like, who are the artists first understanding that this was a long time ago. So there wasn't really anything to search a long time ago. I want to (laughs) face every time I say that. Um, And then just said like, I, I realized I could be intentional about my collection so that it's not just full of uh, white cis straight project owners and that it actually was representative 
of all the values that I hold. And, you know, I've got this ongoing list of underrepresented artists of like uh, that I want to buy that's not public and it's mine. And it's like, when I have ETH, I, I go to that list and say like, what do I want to purchase? It's not to say I don't purchase PFPs. It's not to say that I don't flip things. Everyone needs to figure out their own way to navigate this space and learn the lessons. Like it's, it's, I've learned tough lessons that like I buy from all these artists that I love and there's not a lot of liquidity in photography and, and one-to-one art. There's just not. And so you make these moves and you think that you can have the same sort of like financial gains quickly that you do in like the world of PFPs or profile pictures. And you just, you can't. So it's all just learning. It's all just like experimenting. And we're fortunate enough to be in this space at a time when like that's, for the most part, not going to be detrimental to us. As long as you're playing with money that can go to zero. (laughs) Yes. 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 All right. So I want to hear about your projects right now and (laughs) what you have coming down the pipeline and what you're excited for. Yeah. I mean, I have an interesting sort of like life in this space and that I'm not an artist. Um, I'm a creative person and I was a very artsy kid, but I don't know what your experience was or if, you know, for me, I've heard it from a lot of people, like as a creative kid, being an artist was not on the table. Like it was not something you did. It was something you have fun doing, but it was not a career. It was not a career. And, um, and that was nobody's fault. It just was, it was the reality that starving artist ideal came from somewhere. Um, and so, you know, while I definitely loved art and I did a lot of artistic things growing up, it was something I stopped relatively early on because my focus had to be elsewhere. And I don't think that was intentional per se. It was just like, nah, it's not going to be a career. So what am I going to do? Kind of like when I decided I was not good enough to be in the WNBA, like give up university ball, you ain't going there. So, you know, these moments in life, right? Um, Also WNBA at the time, didn't get paid a lot of money either. <laughs> it was not an ideal career move either. So yeah, I think for me, I it took me a long time to realize then like what is my place here. And I think that's when I really doubled down on like reflecting on me. What are the experiences that I bring to the space? What are the skills that I know that I have? And then what are those of those skills, which are the ones that I see um, that might be valuable to the community? And then I, what I say to everyone, I even coach in the space, like all project owners, it's like, I do believe that people buy from people. Like I believe that any PFP that launches, there's going to be some people that love the art for sure. And there's not too many projects though, where everyone loves the art. There's a few, there's exceptions, but because of that, then you want to widen that scope of people that resonate with your project. And I think that the best way to do that, my thesis in that is that that's through you as the individual that's either owning the project or the project team and all those people that are, um, that compose that project. And so it's about like figuring out like what, are what what's your story to what level are you comfortable telling that and and talking about that everyone's got their own thing but then what are the things that make that story personally and professionally resonate with the largest group of people for me that's always been the inclusion thing in mental health um and so i i tell folks that are project owners to look at that like what is are you are you an entrepreneur 
Are you um, like a small business owner? Are you a mother of multiples? Are you a mother of none? Are you a caregiver? Like, what are the human experiences that we all go through that like, while you can get really minute and detailed on them, if you pull back and have a, a much wider lens on it, you can see like humanity represented in so many facets of all of our stories. And that's going to make you appeal to the most people and the most people will buy because they love you and what you're doing. Like it's not that different from the world of entrepreneurship and startups that are raising venture capital, like very early stage companies, when you're raising money and looking for venture, it's like, who's the founder and who's the founding team. Then okay, what are they doing? What does that market look like? What's like the capability of that market and the capacity of that market? Then it's like, what do they say they're going to do with this money that I give them? Which is in our case, in NFTs, the roadmap. In that case, it's like the vision of what they're trying to do. And then do I believe that these people are going to do these things or something of this nature? Because you kind of all accept that. Um, to the level of success that they think that they can, are they capable of doing that? And if I give them this money, do I think they've got the best shot possible to do that if like everything is in their favor? And that's the way I look at like many NFT projects. It's the same thing. Um, and so I thankfully don't have to do that work <laughs> in <laughs> terms of the actual like creation of a project, but I've just been trying to figure out like, where can I add value? One of the ways is, is via coaching underrepresented project founders or artists um, that perhaps don't have like the marketing experience, but have the art experience that I just don't have. So how, how can I lend value to them in their journey um, and kind of coach them on, on a weekly basis. The other one is just consulting for different projects. I'm really careful about the projects that I select to make sure that they're aligned with the values that I talk about and they um, support the work that I'm trying to do in whatever way. There's one really cool um, projects coming up called Ethereal's World. And the woman Rupa is this like unbelievable entrepreneur from like traditional entrepreneurial worlds, like serial entrepreneur, venture capitalist, angel. She's doing this project. It's all focused on um, like space and has commissioned a very reasonable amount of pieces to be done all around this idea of space and the idea that there's a lack of diversity and inclusion in space travel in general, but most definitely um, astronauts. And it's been so cool to watch her come into this space and she has so much to offer, but it's not we all of us don't necessarily assume we should be talking about ourselves. We we actually there's like a, a nervousness about it of like, I don't want to chill. I don't want to be talking about um, myself in that way. But I think and it's a conversation we had, like, I think there's a ton of value. Everyone needs to determine their own comfort level with it. Like, I'm very comfortable. Everyone needs to. But there's just what you're trying to do is so dope. And it's visually represented really beautifully. Yeah. And if people know who's behind it, like it's a very reasonable amount that you're selling. Like, I think you're set up for really beautiful long-term success and longevity of the project. Because if I was betting, I bet on you. Like the same way I said that with um, Lisa of Boss Beauties. Like if I got money, I'm betting on Lisa every day, all day. If I got money, I'm betting on like, mech who's doing amazing things and just started with like amazing betty from dead fellas like all of these people are like i'm gonna bet on you and the project is almost secondary in that sense for me anyways 
Yeah, no, I'm also doing that work. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. You are such an inspiration. And tell us again where we can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Fling Christina, um, F-L-Y-N-N, Christina with a K, K R I S T I N A. And the one thing I'll mention that I am doing, which I'd love for people to like keep an eye out, is that I'm taking one of my cool cats and um, building a brand around her. I have a thesis that if I were to say something like a 101 about diversity and inclusion, um, versus if diversity Darla, who, which is what I've named her says that same thing that people will be more responsive to her than they will be to me. The large majority of people will be more responsive to her. So keep an eye out for diversity Darla yes. and all is the there lessons she's on that yet? She, so I've, I'm just like experimenting and okay. like tweeting her out every couple of days with like really simple stuff I'm doing on Canva, kind of like taking it back entrepreneurial at like, what's my minimum viable product. Like what can I do? That's not too complicated. And then just see how people respond. I love feedback and my DMS are open. If you got feedback, you got ideas. I'd love to hear it. Um, I'm just, I think there's a lot of potential there to elevate a brand, which we haven't really seen before. We're seeing it with um, board API club, but we haven't seen it with cool cats quite yet. And then I'm fortunate to have all these other PFP projects and characters in my, in my wallet. So how do we then activate the communities that are behind all of these PFPs around this idea of like spreading, what's the message they care about in diversity and inclusion, whether that's gender or language or whatever. And then how can we um, use these characters that we all love, maybe unrealistically um, to like spread that message and have some fun. Diversity Darla. Yeah. We're going to keep our eyes peeled for that. Cool. Take it. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. I I truly appreciate it. So fun chatting. Caitlin here. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in NFTs and Web3 podcast. If you're a woman pioneering the way in the NFT, Web3, or crypto space, I want to share your message. Check out www.metamintmarketing.io slash win, W-I-N. And let's see if you're a great fit. If you got something out of this interview, I would love for you to share it with your network. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on your social channels. If you know someone that would be a great guest, make sure to tag them to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Women in NFTs podcast. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and truly mean a lot to my incredible guests and me. Want to stay in our world? Go to our website, metamintmarketing.io, or follow me on Twitter at NFTCaitlin, C-A-I-T-L-I-N. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time.